Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the middle part of the United States, we have Nick on the phone. Nick is a little bit of a departure from what we've been doing on the Law Enforcement Today show. He's a career firefighter, an EMT, and he comes from a, a law enforcement background with his family. A lot of people have the misconception law enforcement today isn't just about cops. We have guests on who are victims of crime. We have family members. We have survivors. And we have occasionally... Other first responders who are willing to call. Nick, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Uh, my pleasure, Jake. I appreciate you allowing me to be on your show. Well, to be honest, people need to understand something about police and firefighters. We kid each other. We tease each other. We call each other names. We are like the brothers that you get get a boxing gloves for because they'll fight in their front yard but we love each other we are a family uh we have blue brothers and red brothers and i consider all my firefighters to be brothers and sisters without a doubt yeah that, that is absolutely true uh I, you know like you said i've come from a law enforcement family and i'm thoroughly convinced that firefighters and police officers are cut from the same cloth they are we had an old saying, though, is if you want to be loved and respected by everyone's society and be a hero, be a firefighter. If you wanted to be a hero and do a lot of great things, but have everybody hate you, be a cop. <laughs> That's uh, one way of looking at it. Yeah. And by the way, i got to say something. We were never allowed to sleep on a job, and you guys ate a lot better than we did, too. <laughs> I'll grant you that one. We, we do eat better, and uh, we still get to sleep, though not near as much as we used to. Uh, pretty much uh, the, the days of sleeping through a night without a call are almost non-existent in most fire departments. You're not going to get a lot of sympathy from me on that one. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I hate to break it to you. But there's a lot of things that there's so much trauma in the world of policing. When I say trauma... I'll be honest with you. When I started as a police in Baltimore in 1980, uh, I had no idea. People always say, well, 
And they say about firefighters too. You you signed up for this when you took the job. I'll be honest with you. I had no idea the amount of violence I was going to see and the amount that would be directed at me as well. By the way, I had smoke inhalation from house fires twice and I had firefighters you know, give me first aid when that occurred and then chew me out. Like, that's why we have equipment. We don't go in those buildings with all that smoke. The firefighters catch it all the time as well because every bad injury case we had, every potential DOA, every potential, well, if they're already dead, they didn't call it the firefighters or the EMTs. But if they were dying, yeah, they were there. And these men and women never got a break from it. Now, that's very true, and of course, uh, you know, I can't speak for everywhere, but with my department, we frequently do get called to calls that are basically considered an obvious death, and that's because a lot of times the the paramedics have to, you know, be able to formally declare that this person has died, and that means a, you know, fire company, fire suppression unit is sent with them, but you're right, uh, you know, and especially once we took over EMS, which you know, has been spreading around the country. My own department took it over in the mid-90s. And once we took over EMS, uh, our exposure to all kinds of traumatic injuries and deaths increased dramatically. You know, prior to that, it was mostly, you know, a death at a fire, which, you know, is horrific enough. Uh, We also responded to, you know, assistance with, you know, CPR calls or stuff when the medic units you know, needed additional hands, needed somebody in the back of an ambulance. But uh, you're right, the amount of death and, and, and traumatic injuries that we are exposed to just keeps growing. Did you comprehend how much you would see when you were a rookie? I did not. I, I hate to ask it that way because it, and there's really no polite way of saying it. I'm sure over the years, this job, as much as you may love it, as much as I love being a cop, it took a toll on me. Oh, absolutely, uh, no doubt about it. And and yeah, I have I have absolutely loved being a firefighter. I've been with my current department twenty nine years. I've been in the fire service, you know, for thirty six years. You know, over thirty four of those as a full time career. So, but you're right. When I started in it, I had no idea exactly what to expect other than i knew we'd go to fires i knew we'd go to emergencies you know we go to vehicle accidents where you know we have to extricate people uh, and that's another type of incident where we i've seen some horrific trauma um so but it does it does take a toll on you uh it's you know i know it's taken a toll on me even though there's no other job i would have rather done and even though i gave some serious thought to being a police officer you know, for lots of reasons, the fire department won out, and I don't regret it for one one moment. I would do it all over again. And I'm, I thank you for your service for doing that, because that really is a lifetime commitment. So you are on the, the downside of your career. You could you could throw your papers in any time. Say that's it. I'm done. I could basically. Of course, the healthcare costs are extremely high. So, if I walked out now, the health you know healthcare costs might be a little difficult to deal with. And I still have two teenagers and a preteen, so can't technically afford to walk out the door yet unless I had something else to walk into. But yeah, well, you know, my pension maxes out in a year, and you know, I, I at least theoretically could go any day. 
Well, I actually retired at the age of 33 from police work, and I got hurt. I had multiple surgeries, multiple steel plates, and retired, but my health insurance tripled immediately, and it turned out to be a third of my pension, and I've never been able to retire, retire. I've always had to work. So when you retire, even with 30-some-odd years, you're probably still going to have to work. That's exactly right. I will definitely still have to work somewhere. Well, the, the other good side of that, Nick, is, I mean, if I didn't work, I would probably sit around and start doing things that were not good for me and sh- things that would shorten my lifespan, starting, number one, with spending a lot of time I had thinking. Yes. I, I have to be careful of that now. I've come to realize a number of years ago that, that you know, my thinking it's often been said my mind's like being in a bad neighborhood i don't belong there alone absolutely that's what i say about myself all the time and uh, by the way uh, i used to get uh, i'd call it the sunday blues uh, where it would just catch up to you after a while and you wouldn't know where it come from it didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, but i guess we're going to talk about what brought that on what brought it on for me what brings it on for you and for so many others Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. We're talking with Nick. He is a career firefighter. He comes from a law enforcement family. This is a law enforcement show. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. We're talking with a career firefighter named Nick. We can't give his last name. He's still active. Doesn't mean that there's anything to hide or he's going to come out with some big expose or whistleblower thing. That's not what happens here. When people are active duty law enforcement or firefighters, quite often their agencies disapprove of them talking to anyone in the media. And that's just the way it is. It's been that way since before I was on a job and it'll be that way for the next 20, 30 years, at least I'm sure. So Nick, I appreciate you being guests on the show, because I know you get a lot of sensitive things to talk about. Uh, one of them is that, that your father was a police officer, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was a uh, lieutenant with the police department, and uh, he had 23 years on and uh, was very highly respected by his peers. And he was also a military veteran? 
He was. He was a uh, Korean-era Army veteran, although I do not be- uh, he, he never saw any combat. I believe he spent his time in Germany, but that was the period when he was in. All right, so we want to talk about, and this is a, a, a subject that is so easy for people to misconstrue. When I say our law enforcement families, when I'm, I mean spouses, children, they, they pay a heavy price because there's something that happens with so many, so many law enforcement officers and other first responders as well that it negatively impacts their family. And uh, it can range from what we now call post-traumatic stress disorder. I prefer to call it post-traumatic stress injury. I think that's far more accurate. Uh, with that comes a lot of substance abuse or self-medicating, particularly with alcohol. Uh, and for a lot of people, that self-medicating with alcohol can create a monster in and of itself, which all negatively impacts a family. Is that an understatement in your case? Yes, it is. Yes. What happened? Well, um, you know, my dad, uh, he was an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, he had started drinking, you know, uh, probably when he was in the army, you know, for a little background, I was the oldest of his second set of kids. You know, I know you've talked a lot about police officers often have multiple wives, and that's yeah. definitely true in our background. My mom was my dad's second wife. I was the oldest of his of his second set of kids. He had four kids from his first marriage, uh, three of which are still living. There were three of us, myself and two younger brothers, uh, which there's two of us still living. But uh, yeah, alcoholism took a horrendous toll on on our family and on my dad's life and uh i think there towards the end it put his career in jeopardy uh even though he was a you know very highly respected police officer and uh it cost him his life uh he ended up taking his life uh in may of 79 while and he was at that time he was he was on his third marriage, but he was in the process of trying to get out of that marriage or at least separate from that person. He had not completed that, so that created even more problems for the rest of us. But, uh, yeah, I was 11 years old, and uh, I was, you know, uh, my dad was my hero. And uh, and even though he had left, you know, he had divorced my mom when I was in the third grade, you know, so he's no longer living with us. But you know he he was my hero and uh it was it was devastating beyond anything i could describe just those who have been through it know what i'm talking about sad thing is there's so many about this things about this that are sad is that this was in the 1970s that this occurred and it's still going on today there's no let up in this no and 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 i and you've had many people on your show uh discuss this issue and it was one of the one of several reasons why i wanted to come on your show and just share a little bit about that but also what it's like to survive it because if 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 i accomplish nothing else but maybe to help another police officer not make that decision or firefighter or help another family that's going through it then i've made a difference in someone else's life the cops and firefighters and EMTs and corrections officers and all first responders or dispatchers were helpers. That's part of what we do. And it could be for a myriad of reasons. I have the reasons why I went into career. You have the reasons why you did. One of the things I go back in my history, and this doesn't come up often, but every now and then it does, and you just trigger a memory. 
before becoming a cop, when I was a teenager, I was a taxi driver in Virginia. And I remember picking a woman up at the airport, and she said her husband, who was a retired like Air Force colonel or something of that nature, he was high up, didn't show to pick her up. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll give you a ride home. And we get there, and his car's in his driveway, the lights are off, and it's just a bad vibe. There's just a real, and I was like 18 at the time, Nick. And she said, can you come in with me because I'm afraid. And, and I, I brought the suitcases in, walked in, and there the man was in his chair, and, and he had taken his own life by suicide uh, with a gun. And I will never forget that, what an impact it had on me as a kid. Because 18, you know, you think you're something. But really, at 18, I was like so wet behind the ears. I had no idea. And I thought to myself, what could drive someone to get to that point? I understand now. Back then, I didn't. Right. Same here. I mean, you know, obviously, there was nothing as an 11-year-old that I could even begin to comprehend as to what would drive my dad to make a decision like that. You know, I remember just feeling all those feelings that, you know, that that we go through, you know, that sense of, you know, the sadness, the anger, the despair, the confusion, the guilt, you know, the even then, you know, the if onlys, you know, if only I could have seen him one more time, if only I could have spoke to him one more time. You know, there was a police officer who who had died in a motorcycle accident a few days prior to that, and uh, we went to the funeral home. And of course, that was my first exposure to a funeral home. And I remember discussing with my mom. I'm like, if you know, if Dad doesn't do something about his drinking, this could end up. He could end up like this. And I had absolutely no idea that just a couple days later, that that horrible premonition was going to come true. And so, uh, just uh, you know, I just remember that sense of loss, the fear, the what now, the you know, just I mean, I could go on and on, but yeah, it was, you know, it was very devastating. And, you mentioned uh, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Uh, that's something I've been played with, and it, and it wasn't just about personal things, but even in policing, I, I and I think this is healthy. I'm sure firefighters do as well. Could I have done things differently? Yes. What should I have done differently? Would the outcome have been different? I don't know, but it's it's part of improving how you do it. And the, the senior officers helped me out with that as well. They weren't as nice about it as I was sometimes. Uh, so the coulda, shoulda, woulda with your dad, I think I understand that. Yes, uh, and you're absolutely right. And, yeah, we, we do the same thing. I mean, I remember my first uh, fatal fire, you know, the, I went through that that whole period of, well, you know, had we got to her a little sooner, could I have gone in the back of the building rather than the front? You know, what if I tried this? What if I tried that? I mean, I went through that whole woulda, coulda, shoulda, and yeah. and I don't think that ever completely goes away. Even when even when we know that we've done everything humanly possible, there's still that sense of of what could we have maybe done that would have got there and, and made this turn out a little different. We're going to take a short break. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. We're talking with Nick, career firefighter. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? 
Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Are you buried in credit card debt or student loan debt? Learn how to reduce your debt to a fraction of what you owe. Call now for free advice, 800-709-4389, 800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. Return conversation with Nick, career firefighter on the Law Enforcement Today show. You got 30-some-odd years on the job, right? Yes, 29 with my current department, but yeah, over 34 years as a career firefighter. Before we went to break, Nick, you were telling the, the tragic story about your dad, who was a police officer, 23 years on the job, and he died by suicide. And, and he, to use your words, he, he was a, an alcoholic, and that contributed greatly to his taking his own life. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously played a huge role. And, of course, today we know a lot of things we didn't know back then. And and, uh, I personally believe that undiagnosed PTSD and a lot of the things that police officers are exposed to, uh, plus, you know, the crisis that that, uh, had been created in his own life, all played a role in it. I don't think there was any one single factor, but I think it was a, a multitude of factors that came together. You grew up, and I'm a uh, grandson of Irish immigrants, and the joke in our family is that the difference in a family wedding and a family funeral is there's one less drunk. That, that There's so many people in our family, extended family, that had problems with alcohol. Phenomenal people. The best people in the world. Until they started drinking, and then somewhere along the lines, they changed. And some people in my family said, I saw what happened in our family, and I'll never touch alcohol ever in my life. Others tried it, had a bad experience, and said, well, I'm never going to drink like that again. And yet others, the minute they drank, it was as if they had, they were right there with their uncles and aunts, and they were out of control from day one. Your own experience growing up in an alcoholic family, were, were you one of those guys that I'll never drink? Close. I was I was definitely leery of alcohol. I mean, I remember, you know, tasting, you know, mom and dad's alcohol as a kid, you know, and not being particularly and not particularly enjoying it that much. But yeah, when my dad, you know, after he died, you know, my mom got real involved in Al-Anon, thank God, or probably none of us would have survived. And, you know, I, I was just kind of I was afraid of alcohol, you know, uh, I, I, I was afraid, you know, of what it could do. And I tried to stay away from it for a long time, but uh, as what happens to a lot of us, you know, by the time I was in my later high school years, you know, a lot of my friends drank, and and uh, I remember just always feeling a bit like the oddball. And I remember uh, it was probably I think sometime in the summer between my junior and senior year, my friend I was with my friends and they were drinking and. After a while, I'm like, you know, why, why am I making such a big deal about this? It's just a drink. You know, I, I, I can control it. I know what can happen, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, you know, yeah, I'll take one of those. And uh, I remember uh, it was a it was a uh, citrus-flavored wine cooler, and I was like, oh, this tastes really good. I like this. And uh, as, as people with my background say the magic hit all of a sudden i i began to feel better felt like i belonged felt you know somehow it just took all that 
awkwardness away where now I felt like I was a part of this group, but I was still convinced in my own mind that I could control it. You know, knowing what I knew, having been through what I'd been through, I would be okay. And I held on to that myth for several years. And it, you know, and and I, and for the most part, you know, through the remainder of my school and all that, I did control it. You know, it was, uh, it was intermittent. Uh, but then I went in the Air Force about six months after graduating high school, and of course anybody knows that's been in the military knows that uh, that's one of the things we major on early on is drinking. And I found out real quick that if I was going to be part of the crew, part of the team, because uh, I was an Air Force firefighter, uh, that that was one of the things we did was drank. And I kind of resisted it for a while, but again realized that's what. Uh, made me feel like I belonged, like I fit in, and I wasn't having any problems. It was fun, and so I began drinking with them. And how were things when you went into, you left the, the Air Force, and by the way, thank you for your service there, and you went into um, civilian firefighting. Was it, Were you still drinking then? No, thank God that uh, I did not. Um, in spite of my best efforts to control it within the just shortly, about four and a half years that I was in the Air Force, uh, my drinking took off pretty fast. And uh, within a couple of years, I was drinking regularly. I was getting drunk. Uh, I had experienced blackouts. Uh, my attitude had gotten horrible. Uh, you know, I had I had already battled a lot with anger from you know from very early, but that anger turned into rage. That turned into butting heads with. You know, with supervisors, uh, with just uh, just kind of like a deep seething rage against everything that was going on around me. Now, you know, the bizarre part of this is, is I was the most clueless about it. You know, everybody around me could see it, but in my thinking, it was just, well, you know, the world's messed up, and if people would just act right, I would be okay. If the Air Force would just do what I think they should do, we'll be okay. You know, if the fire department would just, you know, on and on and on. And I was the last one to realize how out of control I was getting until I was uh, sat down with my base fire chief, who is a wonderful human being, and I thank God for him every day. But he basically told me, and this was towards the end of my four years, he says, I don't know what's gotten into you, he goes, but you've given me more trouble in the last six months than in the previous four years put together. He goes, I don't know what else to tell you, he goes, but I'm done going to bat for you. He says, he says you're you're facing you're you're going to get yourself in some really serious consequences if you don't make some changes real fast. Uh, of course, my initial reaction was, you know, oh great, now he's turned on me too. Who does he think he is? Blah blah blah. And it just uh, it you know it took me just a little bit longer to realize what a true friend he was being. And for me, the tipping point was. My youngest brother, uh, who at that time was 18, who had been battling drugs and alcohol for several years, been in and out of treatment, had been kicked out of school, and mom had finally had to kick him out of the house. Well, he took his life, and uh, and of course, you know that was. There, I, I don't think you know. I don't think there was anything that could have possibly been more devastating to my mother. Uh, you know, it was devastating to the whole family. You know, I had to come home on emergency leave, and and I just remember it was just like, you know, the world was collapsing all around me. But uh, through a long, you know, through a set of circumstances and meeting and, and interacting with a recovering person and a treatment center counselor who had met with my, you know, who had worked with my brother, uh, he finally was able to get a whole, break through some of my own defenses and my own, 
um, denial and blindness and helped me to see that I was an alcoholic. Yeah, still in its early stages, but I was definitely an alcoholic, and I was no longer in control. And I remember the two things that hit me uh, when I made that face that realization was, one, man, I couldn't drink again, which I didn't like that idea, but it also hit me, oh, my God, I'm just like my dad. I am just like my dad. But the positive side came. I thought, well, but if I know what the problem is, then I know there's a solution. And I had, you know, I was aware of 12-step programs, you know, for growing up, and I joined a 12-step program during that time. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I have not had to drink since then. That's amazing that you got that smack in the face that that woke you up. Um, by the way, for anyone out there struggling with drugs or alcohol for whatever reason uh, for our first responders our firefighters our police our military veterans it's a great program just don't wrote from us phenomenal people uh, it's called help for our heroes do a google search for help for our heroes and uh, check them out it's run by transformations treatment center and they're in delray beach and it's uh, just a great organization for anybody so they've got programs for everyone uh, and for people who struggle with drug and alcohol problems, it is, there's an old saying, it always ends in jails, institutions, or death if the person doesn't get sober. And uh, fortunately, a lot of people do. They do recover and they have good lives. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. We're talking with Nick, career firefighter. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. We all know that law enforcement First responders and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists, helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. This is the Law Enforcement Show. I am John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore Police Sergeant, joined by special guest Nick. He's calling us from the Midwest area of the United States. He's a career firefighter, still active, so we can't use his last name or mention the department. Nick, we've had so much to talk about uh, so far in your story. 
we haven't even touched on what really happens with firefighters. But just to recap for those just joining us, uh, Nick's father was a U.S. military veteran. He was a career police officer. He had an alcoholism problem, and he died by suicide with 20 years on the job. And he lost a brother to suicide due to alcoholism. And then he's a self-diagnosed alcoholic as well. And you've been sober now about how long? I've been sober over 29 years. Miracles happen every day. There's, some people say there's miracles among us, but they're not always pretty. And I'm not making that as a negative about you. It's just amazing to go from where you're at before to where you're at now. And, and now in a career profession, firefighting, policing, our corrections officers, I can't speak for corrections officers or firefighters or EMTs because I'm not one. But I know the alcohol culture is a big part of it. It's a big way that we coped with all the stress on the job and after particularly bad tours of duty or shifts or whatever term you want to call them our way of dealing with is we get together we buy a case of beer we go to a parking lot and we drink and we talk and that wasn't all bad however for many of us the alcohol became a monster right absolutely and and that was how we dealt with it how i dealt with it in those early years but you're right once i had started working this 12-step program and got sober and and with the obvious tragic consequences of alcoholism right in front of me i just knew that that was no longer an option for me that that whatever i had to do i would have to find other ways of dealing with the the trauma and and the strain and so you know, I got out of the Air Force shortly after that, right right about the time when things blew up with uh, Operation Desert Shield, the first Gulf War. Went back home, and uh, while I, and of course, before I'd gotten out, I had tested for a number of fire departments, including the one I work for now. Uh, was on you know eligibility lists and just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. Went home. Stayed in my in my twelve step program. I knew that if I did nothing else, I had to stay on top of that if I was going to make it. Interestingly, uh, for the short time I was uh, back home, I got hired as a corrections officer at at one of the state prisons because uh, it was an easy job for veterans to get. I was there for about three months, and was like, okay, interesting job. Not something I want to do for the next twenty years. And then uh, my hats off I, to them. There's no way I could do that job. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it takes a special person to work corrections because I don't have any of the quality traits you need to have to be a good corrections officer. I just don't want to possess them. I agree. It is. It would definitely take a special person to stay there. So, But I was very fortunate. Six months after I got out of the Air Force, I got contacted by my current city, which is not the city I grew up in. So it was uh, kind of a strange situation because I moved up here. I was still young and single. I knew nobody was just thrilled to get my dream job, which was to become a career firefighter in a city. And, uh, you know, was also very much aware of the need to take care of my sobriety. So shortly after I moved up here and got started, I found meetings because I knew that the camaraderie was going to be the same, that most of the social activities revolve around alcohol. My recruit class would gather on Friday nights in one of the local bars I would join the guys for a while because I wanted to get to know my classmates, but I knew I had to set limits and I knew I had to fill in those gaps. And, you know, so I continued to go to my meetings and and continued to make new friends. Uh, Definitely as, you know, as any fire department, uh, all the social activities, the union meetings, everything revolved around alcohol. Uh, There were, especially in the early years, there were many people who would ask me, you know, 
Oh, oh, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm just drinking a, you know, a Coke or a Diet Coke. Oh, that's all, you know, and, and most guys didn't push it. There were a few that kind of push it where I had to, you know, say, hey, I don't drink, okay? That's, that's all you need to know. But most, most of the guys were respectful and cool with it, and it was never really a big problem. In fact, some of them, I think they were glad because now they knew they had a designated driver. But also, I, what I tried in some of the early years was enjoying some of the events without alcohol, but I found that to be very difficult, you know, to be, after a while, to be the only sober person. And so uh, after a couple of years of that, I realized that uh, I would have to limit my limit the social activities that I was involved in, you know, with my colleagues, just, you know, for my own sobriety, because I knew that that had to come first. I knew just on what I'd already been through and what I knew about alcoholism that I would destroy this career that I loved if I started drinking again, and I just could not take that risk. So I knew that I would have to kind of, you know, operate a little differently. But uh, as I progressed on the career, I was very fortunate. I got, uh, I was blessed with very good assignments, very busy, went to a lot of fires, and of course saw a lot of trauma. And I found that it, you know, it was difficult to deal with. You know, it was, uh, and and I probably uh, used both my meetings, you know, my uh, friends in the program and uh, in a church that I was going to at the time were probably my biggest outlets to deal with, you know, with the traumas and the strains that came with being a, uh, you know, an urban firefighter. And I'm sure during your career, with all this going on, you've had coworkers and maybe even subordinates that wound up having problems with alcohol. Did, did that affect your way of dealing with them? No, in fact, I, you know, I never talked a lot about my being in recovery, but I always wanted to be helpful, if if at all possible. So, you know, when I knew somebody was struggling, you know, and there was a few, I would just kind of reach out to them and say, hey, you know, if you ever need help, I can take you where the help is. And a couple did. You know, it didn't always turn out like I'd hoped, but a few did reach out. Some didn't. Uh, I saw some of them, you know, their lives and their careers went down in flames and and uh, you know, all I could do was just say, "There, but for the grace of God, go I." And uh, but you know, I always tried to reach out if somebody was was willing, you know, if at all possible. One of the things that I know had to happen with you, policing, alcohol, not from our own perspective, just from daily calls. We'd have to deal with people so often who had chronic alcoholism, who had drug addiction problems. We get to see what it did to families. We get to see the violence that came out, a lot of it, the health consequences. Look, if you want to know who's on the front lines of the drug and alcohol crisis in the United States, look at your firefighters, your EMTs, and your police. They're dealing with these people every day, every day. And we want nothing better than having them get sober and recover. And that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, it was heartbreaking sometimes because, yeah, I've dealt with tons of people, you know, that are chronic alcoholics. You know, many of them are homeless, chronic drug addicted. Uh, you know, we've had a major heroin epidemic going on for years. And, uh, you know, the last engine company that I was assigned to, we dealt with a minimum of an overdose a day, you know, sometimes multiple overdoses a day. And, and I even actually started carrying in the pumper some pamphlets of some 12-step meetings, you know, that were specific to heroin uh, addiction to hand out to people if they were willing. You know, I'd say, hey, you don't have to live like this. You know, here, here's a pamphlet. Here's some meetings, you know, because, you know, I know I can't save everybody, you know, uh, but but it's like, 
I was constantly in the back of my mind just reminded, you know, they're human beings, and they're sick. They're not bad people. They're sick people. And, again, uh, had it not been for the way things turned out, it could have been me. And uh, that was always in the back of my mind. That doesn't mean sometimes you don't get frustrated and aggravated with them. You know, when it comes down to it, it's like, no, these are just these are human beings that need help. And they really do. And it's devastating to watch, and it really can tear your heart out. So much of your story has done that and I, I thank you for coming on the show talking about it again if anyone is suffering struggling you know anybody uh if they're a firefighter police military veteran call the help for our heroes program at transformations treatment center 888-991-9725 you can go online at transformationstreatment.center for more details and they also have programs for people who are not in law enforcement or first responders uh nick i got to have you back on the show in the future. There's so much to talk about. We're out of time. I want to talk about Narcan and so many other things. I appreciate your time, and thanks so much for being a guest on the show. My pleasure, Jay. Thank you for allowing me to be on your show. I really enjoy it. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.